Good morning. God bless you guys for being here. I leaned over to my wife. I had to edit that video um, because I, I got these the uh, graphics and the videos offline. I paid 20 bucks for them, you know, kind of thing. And his idea of what I wanted to talk about was my idea of what I wanted to talk about. So I had to cut his part out and put my part in. So there you go. That's what it looks like. That's what I got. We are so glad that you are here this weekend. We are on our last Sunday of a series that we've called The Family Game. And we've gone five weeks now talking about various games. And by the way, I brought the jug up. And we'll be drawing uh, five, six winners actually at the end there. And, and you'll be able to take home a game if you want the ones get get your name drawn. But we talk about different games. And you know, to this week is trouble. Right down there on this part, you see the, the cube up there. And you know, it's really funny. On this particular one... Two things. First off, the deal is, is that you've got this little thing you mash down, and it spins the little dice around in there. I, I just said dice in a Baptist church. Ah! Anyway, that's what it did. Anyway, so you mash it like that, and then you move the number of spaces that the dice comes up. But the bottom line is, trouble and this game right here, um, shoots and ladders, both of them require no skill. In other words, if you win, it's kind of like, oh, do you know I'm going to say luck? It's the luck of the draw. In other words, there, there's no strategy. Risk is like way heavy in strategy. The game of life has strategy. And if you've ever played Uno, you know there's a strategy involved with that. But really, trouble and, and shoots and ladders, you roll the dice and whatever happens, happens. And here's the deal. That's kind of how it happens with family life sometimes. We kind of get the idea that life is like that and you throw the dice out there and however the kids grow up and however the marriage works out and however things go is, well, that's just how it goes. And that is like way far from the biblical picture of marriage and family. In fact, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, see if you identify with this. This game, Trouble, has two first cousins. One of them is in England, and I'm not sure where the other one is, but the first one, our version is called Trouble. The English version is called Headache, okay? And the other one, whatever country it is, is called Frustration. And you know, if you stop and think, isn't that really too often a kind of a picture of how we see life? Trouble, frustration, and headache? Um, if we were really honest, would we not maybe say sometimes... At whatever address you live at, that kind of describes your world of family. Trouble, frustration, and headache. I mean, it's just sometimes it seems that way. And that's why we want to talk today because, again, that's not what God's really called us for to be. Now, it's going to be sometimes. We, we say this in Sunday school, not this, but we talk about something else in Sunday school that dealt with that. You know, dreams get dashed. Expectations don't get met. Sometimes life really is Life. And sometimes in family life, there's trouble. Can I hear an amen? Sometimes there just happens to be a little bit of frustration. And sometimes I have a headache. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. That's the way life is. But we want to talk about today three, I love this, three Jesus observations. And, and really, how to avoid, well, what causes trouble and how to avoid trouble. And it's a uh, this is a pretty stinking heavy, heavy sermon. It really is. And uh, not a guilt trip sermon at all. I'm going to tell you up front, it's not. I'm going to try to make that very clear as we progress through this. We're going to go as far as I feel like God wants us to go today. If we don't make it to the end, we'll finish up tonight. i got something else planned, but we can finish up tonight. 
But so if you look at life, family life, you look at the United States, you look at society, and you see this frustration, this trouble, and this headache, you know, when did all this really, really come about? Well, it's been around. Let's face it. Come on. You know, Cain, Cain killed Abel, you know. It's been around a long, long time. But it seems like in America, it's really just kind of came to a, a, a bad fruition really over the last several decades. Go back with me. You know, it's, it's really weird. Go back like 60 years. Go back 59, 60 years. In years 1953, 1954, somewhere in there. And you know, America was largely a, largely a Judeo-Christian values country. Um, things like, like God and like, like patriotism and things were really in vogue. They were really in style. And you can imagine during that time, because that's largely what the church preached, you know, it kind of was a real popular day. In fact, we saw a booming amount of people um, profess Christ in the 19, early 1950s and on through the decade. It's just a really big deal that happened then. And, and back in those days, you know, marriage was held in very, very high esteem. Now, there always has been divorce. I told you last, you know, some of y'all might say, man, I'd like to be this Jew guy. You know, you, you walk up to your wife and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and you're done. You know, you can go marry Katie, you know. It didn't matter. You know, and you said, boy. But, you know, back then, yeah, there were divorces, but it was not near the percentage that we see today. And there was a, um, a I guess the word shame comes to my mind. There's a certain thing about when you got divorced, you know, it's kind of like, wow, I failed, you know. And that's just the way it was, you know. But but overall, the family was stronger. Now, not everyone's happily married. I, I think about your family, and boy, her mom and dad, that, I don't know how they ever, first of all, I don't know how they got nine kids. They never liked each other. You know, I'm serious. Ask Hooters, she'll tell you. I mean, I'm not sure how they did, you know, nine kid thing. I really don't, I don't know that. They liked each other at least nine times, I guess. I guess you could say that. Um, but, you know, they, they never spoke to one another. And I think about my family. Now, my mom and dad were married about as long as Junior and I would be married next year. Mom and dad were married 38 years um, before he died of a heart attack. And then she followed suit um, two years later. And I, I, there wasn't this. Um, lovey-dovey kind of thing, marriage thing going on. But, but they were committed to one another. And, I, boy, I remember some fights. I learned some of my first cuss words from my daddy. When I was in the living room, they were in the kitchen talking about finances or something. And uh, they were, like, you know, like hollering at one another. And I, but, but overall, they were committed. They stayed together. You know, they stayed together. Well, that happened. That, that's cool. That's the way life was. There's a commitment. Even though it was strained sometimes, you know, there's a commitment to the marriage. Well, fast forward about 15 years. About 15 years, 1969, 70, somewhere in there, strange things. There was social upheaval in America. Um, the do-your-own-thing generation was going on. There was protests against the Vietnam War. And somewhere in there, that do-your-own-thing, uh, we boomers, particularly we boomers, and back in the, uh, the previous generation was the World War II generation, but we boomers had a whole different take on marriage. And, and the free, uh, free love and free sex thing was going on. It's just crazy. It was just a crazy time. But in that process, we saw a weakening of the marriage commitment. And it was during that time we saw the, the percentages of divorce start going up. There was a new, there's a new whole thing called single parenting, which we know so well today, of single moms and single dads. And that's when divorce got up around a 50% rate. And it really weakened marriage. It really weakened the stickability and the permanence of marriage. And, and our generation suffered from that. Uh, a lot of kids grew up in, and, you know, and, and started growing up in, in broken families where dad wasn't a part or mom wasn't a part. It really was different. It really was a different time. And it weakened our social structure in America. Now let's go forward 30 years. 
And now it's like 1995, 1998, 1999, somewhere there. And it got even weaker because those kids grew up and they kind of saw what mom and dad went through. And so they said, you know, one, I'm not sure what to get married. And two, if we do get married, even though we'll tell the preacher that it never enters our brain, we know that we can throw it away. And we, marriage really became a throw it away institution. Uh, it became an institution where, you know, if you didn't like it, then you could just get out. You knew that. And um, one thing, you know, there's a new thing called try before you buy. You know, young couples started living together in large numbers to see if they were compatible. And then some of them eventually got married and some of them didn't. They just cohabitated uh, for years and years and years and had children. Um, And that was again. And by the way, some of that 1960 group did that too. It wasn't just the young guys. And incredibly, it still makes me go, huh? Sometimes it was senior dogs. So, so this whole generational thing snowballed into where marriage was. Let's try it before we buy it. And hey, if it doesn't work, we know that divorce is an option. It really undermined our society. It, it created a generation of kids who were struggling about what they believed and, and was there really security in life. And now fast forward to last week. Wednesday, I think it was, uh, the Supreme Court decided um, and basically redefined marriage on the political landscape in America, really for the rest of our lives. They, they basically took apart piecemeal the Defense of Marriage Act and basically giving full rights and benefits to same-sex marriage. I told you several years or several weeks ago that Danny Aiken said that same-sex marriage would be the law of the land um, within the next five years. And I think anybody would be surprised about how quickly that all happened. And then... And then, of course, the California thing, where the Supreme Court refused to hear an appeal upholding Proposition 8 in California, thereby a lower judge, some low judge, liberal judge out there, overthrew a constitutional amendment for the California state constitution saying that same-sex marriage was legal in California, even though 52% of the people said, we don't want that. So the landscape was changed this week forever. And yesterday, I did a wedding and for the first time, I said something. I said, I usually say, you know, you, know, you know the gig. Marriage is a sacred institution, the basis of human society, and should be held in high honor, honor among all men and women. Everlast, I couldn't say that anymore. I added the word. Biblical marriage is a sacred institution. Because now, there are definitely, and will be more, Unbiblical marriages. The thing I have, you know, this is America, and, and by the way, this is not a political message. You'll hear that. I'm not. But, but there's just a part of me that's just kind of riled up. Because I really feel like God instituted marriage. Not, not the United States government. Not any state government. It belongs to God. And, and the world stole that. Away, and then totally redefined what marriage was. And they don't have that right because it did not belong to them. This is America, and if they want to have civil unions, then this is America. But you should not take what is God's and try to make it man's. And that's exactly what happened this week. And you're going to see more and more and more of that. Now, the question of the hour is this. By the way, I want you to give you a heads up. Not this week's article. But next week's article, I've already written it. 
deals with this topic, and I hope you'll listen to it. I'll read it. I'm sorry. I hope you'll read it as soon as it gets out because uh, it kind of gives my heart and my take on this uh, about how we should address these issues, and we don't have time to do that today. So, so my question today is, how did we get there? How, how did we get there, and really what do we need to do today, not just concerning that issue, but society and, Brother David, the gospel as a whole? What do we do with that? Well, how did we get here? Somewhere along the way, um, we changed. Somewhere along the way, our society changed. But that's kind of to be expected because you've got to understand the context that, that America is a Christian nation implies that all people have Christian values. And only a Christian can have that. And a lot of Americans are not believers. They'll tell you they're not. And so the concept, yes, we were founded on Christian principles, but frankly, as I shared Wednesday night, we're a pretty pagan nation. We're the fourth largest lost nation in the world. That simply means this. If you line up all the nations according to population, we're number four on the pile of the percentage of lost people that live in our country. So somewhere we changed. And then as we changed, we allowed change. As we changed, we allowed change. Um, we stood by largely the church and other folks who hold values, um, you know, those core values, simply stood by as society slowly metamorphed and changed. And that's how we got where we are today. And I think one of the big areas that, that we have changed in is we have changed in our worldview. You know, things happen individually and then it happens corporately. Individually, corporately. You know, I, I did a Tony Evans gig one time here. I want to give him credit for that. And I can't do it now because I don't remember how it went. But basically he said this. You know, if you take a, a, a leader in a family who, as the man, if that, that man is godly, then he'll have a godly influence on his family. See? And then, then that influence, that godly family, will influence our communities to be godly. Are you following me? And then as our family is godly, then our, council, our, our county becomes godly. And then godly counties form up godly states. And godly states lead to godly nations. See, so it's important, sir, it's important, ma'am, what your worldview is. Because you will be an influencer for or against the kingdom of God. That's just the bottom line. What you believe and how you form your opinions will largely impact your family, your community, your county, your state, and our nation. So it's very, very important. So what happened? Well, I, I chose a little scripture from Luke chapter 6, verses 9 10. Now, you'll know this because it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus was teaching on prayer. And, and he goes something like this. You know, he goes, Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed, worshipped, holy be your name. And then he said these words. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And somehow as we metamorph in Western Christianity, we kind of revised and tweaked that prayer. And it kind of become, now we don't pray it this way, but our, our, our lens, our our, the way we see the world, the way we make decisions, the way we raise our families, the way we do marriage, the way we do church, has kind of become my will be done in heaven as it is on earth. In other words, we said, God, you kind of exist for us. 
not us for you. God, we know you're the creator, but you exist for us. So we're going to do the church thing down here. We're going to do the God thing. But whatever we ask you for, because you're God, you're supposed to give it to us. And that totally removes the sovereignty of God. It totally removes the holiness of God. It totally removes the bigness of God. God is God. We're not. Now, that's not very popular because we want a religion and we want a God who exists for us. And that's not who our creator God is. He is God. He is God. And then, in Matthew, now y'all, y'all know Matthew 6.33. Jesus was talking about worrying and strife and all that stuff. And here he said, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And somewhere along the way, between 1953 and, and 2013, we have slowly changed, and, and God is still on the list. But if we were speaking for Jesus today, and so many Individuals' lives and so many homes, it would be, but seek first. No, 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 not first. Seek second. No, wait, time out. There's something else for second. Hang on, God, I'll get there. But seek 31st. Seek 31st the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, somehow we, we rearrange the priorities of God in our lives. And if you're number one, you can't go any higher, and so we just bump him down. And it varies by family. It varies by commitment level. It varies by who we are in Christ. I understand that. For some of you, it's number one. Some of you, it's number two. Some of you, number five. Some of you, number seven. But the bottom line is, when we start changing the way we pray and expecting God to do what we want only, and denying His sovereignty and His right to rule and reign in our lives, and when all of a sudden God's kingdom becomes somewhere down, society's going to suffer. Society's going to suffer. I mean, just... It's just the way it is. Let me give you an example. How many of y'all have heard the name of the book, Radical? Raise your hands. Lots of hands. Okay, great. David Platt, I think, wrote that, I believe. When I saw that, I even told some people this. You know society... No, no, no. You know the church is in trouble when a young pastor writes a book... And it's entitled Radical. This book in a normal world, spiritual world, would have been entitled Normalcy. When you have to write a book and tell God's church about the radical calling of Jesus Christ on people's lives and try to explain that it's not my will be done in heaven as it is on earth. When you have to explain that sacrifice and suffering is part of the Christian faith, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. You know, there's a book out called Not a Fan. You know the church is in trouble when we have to be told that, no, we're not fans of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And if we want to see culture turned around, we have to be radical in our faith. We cannot afford to be a fan of Jesus. I love, and I'll probably always remember what my brother Jeremy said, we have got to have Jesus dust on us. In other words, he's here, we're walking a dirty trail, and as he kicks up the dust, we are falling so close, his dust gets on us. That's what's got to happen. Now, now how, 
How do you develop that lens? How do you change that worldview? Well, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, I'll read it just say I, I think I know it, but let me read it. Paul writing to a young preacher boy. All scripture is inspired by God. Now, the, the lens creator for the follower of Christ, the lens creator for the disciple of Jesus Christ, the lens maker for every person who claims the name of Jesus Christ is this book, this library of books. And Paul said to the young preacher boy, and we believe that, that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he said that this is the Word of God. And it is how we make our lens, our worldview. Can I have an amen? Now, that means this. If the book says something is right, we don't need to pray about it. We don't need to have a convention about it. We don't need to have form a committee at it, an ad hoc committee at business meeting, and have them come back and report. If the Word of God says something is, then it is. And if the Bible says something is not, then it's not. Now, I appreciate the amens. I really do. In fact, I sometimes I beg for them. But my question is, how much do we really believe and practice that? Now, I know all the major issues. Same-sex marriage. There might be a few here that say, well, you know, this is America. They should be able to do what they want to do. I, mean, I understand that. You know, I don't understand it, but I understand it's there. You know, um, I, I understand on some issues about, you know, other things, the, the adultery thing, all those big sins. We're going, yeah, that's sin. And we all go, rah, rah. See, I, I could I, I had a choice to make today. I could have got up here and had a war rally, but I called my article. And all you guys have been clapping. Go get him, preacher. Yeah, baby. I'll stand at that door. Preacher, what? Where you go, preacher? Where you go? I can talk from my heart to you today. I chose the latter. I chose the latter. The bottom line is, not just the big things, but those things that we allow to exist in our hearts. I've had to share once again with a young man. We've had three conversations now. I told him, I said, you know, bro, I said, the truth is, you know, we, we've got the big stuff. But I get to understand, and, and if I could preach sitting down there, I would do it and be part of you. I don't understand, though, how we can just gossip and, and hurt one another and still cause Christ-like. Because the same book that said adultery is wrong and same-sex marriage is wrong says those things are wrong. The world said we're to love one another. That, that we are to, to be Christ-like. And again, it's awfully easy as long as we do the, the top four or five, and everybody's got a list, the top four or five, that we go, rah. But we ignore all those other things. And I'm telling you, the world looks and says, you says you're a Christ follower, but there's so much that boogie bear stuff in your life. What's up with that? So are you willing today to accept a challenge, not from me, but from God and His Word, to make this Bible, not some of it, 
Not what will get you cheers. But would you be willing to look? In fact, I'm going to challenge you further. Would you be willing, and this is not to differentiate between Paul's writings and Jesus' writings, would you be willing to spend an incredible amount of time, particularly in the Gospels, and looking what your Savior said about life? Like his big command. They will know you're my disciples by because you love me. And the one who said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow me. Those are some heavy things. And when we start having a worldview, something like uh, David Platt talked about in his book Radical, or in the Not a Fan book, it is then that there's a possibility that we can turn this old ship, the Titanic, back toward God. But we cannot do business as we have done business and expect a major difference. There are huge differences being made in the world today, but most of them, practically all of them, are outside of the Western Hemisphere. God is working in this world, but the the Western Hemisphere is in deep weeds. It's in deep trouble. So are you willing today? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Are you willing to say, yes, God, it's profitable, it's good for me, because it teaches me. It sometimes rebukes me. It corrects me. And it trains me in righteousness. Are you willing to get a whole different look at the Word of God? And then he finishes up that that verse by saying this, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good. Mom and Daddy, if you are not spending time in the Word of God, you need to. If you're not spending time in the Word of God, you need to. Hey, husbands, if you're not spending time in the Word of God, you need to. Wives, students, time in the Word of God. See, see, Proverbs gives us a real good word of warning. Here it says, listen to this. This is Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, it's important who we listen to. It's important where we get our wisdom. And students, you need to know this. The crowds you hang with, you may say, I'm going to pull them up. They will drag you down. And, and adults, same thing. Same. Now listen, I know we've got to meet. We cannot become isolationists. How in the world are you going to win lost people if you don't know lost people? But when it comes to the core values, when it comes to what you believe, you get your advice from the one source that can be trusted. It's the Holy Word of God. See, Jesus said in our base scripture, he says, Beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Man, be careful who you listen to. Make sure you're getting the truth. Some of you right now, I shared this with with a person, some of you right now are in marital trouble. Be careful who you listen to. Just because it may be a sister or brother, that person may have a very tainted view. Make sure the person that you're talking to has a good grasp on the Word of God. Some of you are in financial trouble. Be careful who you talk to. 
Some of you are in parental trouble. Be careful who you talk to. Some of you have trouble relationships at work. Be careful who you talk to. Be careful who you meet at the water cooler. And make sure if, if you're a guy, he's a guy. There's been more marriages ruined at the water cooler than I care to discuss this morning. So who are you going to listen to? Those who walk with the wise become wise. But those who are plenty of fools suffer great harm. Some of you guys like the King James. I love it this time. But companions of fools are destroyed. Are destroyed. So be wise. I want to touch one more thing real quick. And we'll finish up tonight. The second thing I wrote on the sheet was for us to evaluate our spiritual heritage. Do we have a religion or relationship? Um, my, my, her- my family heritage is really weird. I, I really, these are one of those things I hate to confess to you, but I will. So I was sitting there this morning in my, in my green room studying. I'm going, okay, my mother's dad, that would be my grandfather. I can no more tell you his name than the man in the moon. My grandmother on that side, I used to know it. But doggone, I can't remember her name either. And then I, on daddy's side, and I think it's because now, now granddaddy on mama's side died when I was really young. But there was no heritage. On daddy's side, grandma's name was Maud, and his name was Samuel. I got that. And the reason I know that is because about once a month, we would go down there on Sunday and work our tails off in their yard. And Maud and Samuel kind of liked that. So I do remember that. I can't name cousins. I can remember one aunt, uh, two, Aunt Mildred and Aunt Joanne. Or, yeah, jo- Joanne. Joanne? Mary Jo. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you why that's so. Again, my family lived in Jacksonville, and we were kind of the, um, we were the poor people in the family. Some of the others had money. And so we were kind of isolated from them. Again, I went down once a month to work in Grandma's yard, but that's about as far as our relationship went. Then when I turned 18, I joined the Air Force, and, you know, off we went to Wild Blue Yonder. I came back to Moody... And met Judy, and we kind of got, well, not kind of, we got married. It worked. And, and we got married, and then we ended, up, and we ended up here with you guys. Oh, praise God, amen. <laughs> yeah. We ended up here with you guys, and we've been in the Midwest for the last, like, 35 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way it was. So, so here's what I want. Distance, distance really darkened my heritage. Now, we're not careful spiritually, the same thing can happen. If we don't constantly nurture our spiritual heritage, then it also can fade from our minds. And I think some of where society is today is that very fact. Some of us were genuinely born again, but we've not nurtured that. We've not been discipled, and we've not been a disciple. And consequently, we're weak in our faith. And we're not prepared for society that we now live in. We are at war. And it is not against man. It is against Satan and evil. We live in an evil, evil world today. But you know, somewhere along the way, back in the 50s when all those people were getting saved, somewhere we reduced salvation down 
to, if we could give them to say a prayer, okay, then they became Christian, quote, Christian. And a lot, a lot of people, we went out and said, all you have to do is pray this prayer and pray this prayer. And there's nothing wrong with prayer. I still believe in leading people into prayer of salvation. But, but it was prayer without authority. It was prayer without meaning. It was prayer without heart. And consequently, we had a whole bunch of people who prayed a prayer but had no relationship. Good people, often religious people. But they had no regeneration. They had no relationship. That was me for the first 21 years of my life. I prayed a prayer. I sang in gospel groups. I didn't smoke and I didn't chew and I didn't go around with girls who do. But I was lost. I was lost. And the most, one of the most frightening scriptures follows in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He said, not every, now listen to this. I, I, I preached this one time and a very good Christian friend said, said, well, maybe he meant this. I said, why don't you just let it mean what it means? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on in verse 22. Many will say, how many? Lots, many. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not professed in your name, prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And really the challenge is today to examine your spiritual heritage. And these days, particularly, you need to know that you know that you know. You need to go back to that anchor point when you say, I trusted Jesus. And make sure that it was a time of recognition that you were a sinner. And you weren't wanting God for a better life. And you weren't wanting God just to go to heaven. You didn't want God to fix your marriage. You stood before God and you said, God, I know I've sinned against you. You're holy and I'm not. And I, here's that old-fashioned word. Are you ready? Hang on your seats. I repent. I turn away from me and my world and what I want and my sin. And I choose to follow you. Is there a time in your life when that anchor happens? Yeah, it was 21 for me. I was a, listen, I was a three-time weaker. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Year after year after year. And one day through a guy's testimony, God pulled back all that religion off of me and, and laid me bare before him. And I saw myself as a lost sinner before a holy God. Now that day, I said, God, I have sinned against you. And Jesus, without you, I have no hope. And I lay myself before you and ask for your forgiveness. And that day, he came my life and changed me forever. Perfect? Y'all know me too well. No, not perfect, but forgiven. I want that for you. I want every person here before they leave not to say, 
But Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. God, I taught Sunday school in your name. And I went to church in your name. And I gave money in your name. I don't want one person to leave here with the thought that Jesus might say, depart from me. I never knew you. So do you have an anchor point? Do you know that in your past, there's a time you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? Now, there's a real, there's a real fine line I want to talk about today. Because I, I really, I know, I've known this all my life, but I'm really starting to learn it more. I understand that I can't live the Christian life. In fact, I was talking to somebody this week. And I said, you know, I'm not sure who the guy is that shows up every Sunday morning and preaches. You know, it's not Dwayne. I'm trying to say it's God. I can't do this. This is one area I know that I've kind of surrendered to God. I said, God, when I'm called to stand before your people and teach, it's got to be you because I ain't got it. We can't live the Christian life. But that does not negate the doing part. Look look what he says. I I left off on purpose. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But but not to make you righteous. Not to make you anything. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. A birthmark of a child of God. He loves doing the will of the Father. He picks up his word and says, you shouldn't and you don't, or you should and you do. You know, I was in, sitting in Africa with Matt Winkleman. He used a great, we were just chatting, you know, and I love this illustration. He said, you know, a sheep is not a sheep because he goes, bah! A sheep is a sheep because his DNA says he's a sheep. A goat is not a goat. And I'm not sure what goats do besides butt people. I don't, I don't know what sound they make. They do buh. Nah. But I know this. Going nah don't make you a goat. Doing religious stuff does not make you a believer in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ does. But a hallmark, a birthmark of a born-again conversion is doing the Father's will. Just don't get them out of whack. Some people say, I'll do, do, do so God loves me and approves of me. Ain't in the Bible. You can do nothing to make God love you more or less. There's not one ounce of self-sustained holiness in you. It's all by the blood of Of the precious Lamb of God. All by the blood. So, let's wrap it up. That what a perfect place to quit. What's your worldview? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you want Jesus dust on you, I want to challenge you as your pastor. If you want to make an impact in your family, if you want to make an impact in your community, if if you'd like to see America turn back, if you don't like the way she's going, let this word be your lens for your worldview. And don't compromise it. Politician gets up there and promises you better retirement and promises you more Social Security and promises you better medical care and you vote for it! Even though he kills babies. 
even though he approves of the things that God is against. You've got to have the courage to say, it may not be good for my pocketbook, but I'm standing with God. I'm standing with God. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to do when the guys say, let's go out Friday night and do such and such and such? Men, are you willing to say, no, I won't violate my wife that way. I will not violate my God that way. When some cute young thing winks at you at the water cooler, you've got the courage to turn and walk away. Even if your wife has a few more wrinkles than that. Ladies, same thing. Your wife ignores you, or excuse me, your husband ignores you. Hadn't winked at you in a long time, and some young buck does. Well, you have the worldview that God says adultery is wrong, fornication is wrong. And will you stand with the Word of God? Will you make those unpopular decisions with your students and your children, even though the world says something different? We have integrity on the job because the Word of God says, I value integrity. If you want Jesus dust on you, now by the way, if that's radical, it's radical. But if you want Jesus dust on you, that's what you got to do. If you're here today, maybe you come every week, maybe you don't. But you're here today and something today clicked in your head and you said, you know what? I'm not sure I've made that decision that Pastor Dwayne talked about. I want to issue an invitation, a time of decision. I'll be down front in just a moment. And I'll be glad along with some of our friends down here, our encouragers, to, to share with you about Jesus Christ. And by the way, you know what? You know how that happened that day? First off, I was the worship leader in the church. I was the lay leader, but I was the worship leader. And so I went to my pastor after the Sunday school hour. He, had, he taught a pastor's class. He said, Gene, Brother Gene, I can talk with you. And we went back to his office and I said, Gene, Brother Gene, I do not have Jesus Christ. If I died, I would not go to heaven. You know what he said? He said, All right, son. He says, I know you know what you need to do, but let's go through it again. I can see it to this day. There's an old wooden rocker, had a, one of those kind of a cloth bottoms to it. And he and I knelt there that day. And he said, Dwayne, do you understand that all have sinned, Dwayne, to come short of the glory of God? Yes, sir. Do you understand that the wages of sin is death? Yes, sir. But do you also understand that the, you got to love this word, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, your Lord? Yes, sir. Dwayne, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You want to do that today? Yes, sir. That's how it happened. That's why I'm inviting you to come down front. There's nothing magic about this altar. I got some folks here, myself, who'd love to introduce you to the very best friend of our lives. And I'm not calling you to come to a religious organization. Some of you millennials out there, those of you born from 1980 to 2000, I've been told you want to make a difference in this world. But let me tell you something. You want to be a world changer? You add Jesus Christ to your life. He'll change the world. He'll change the world.
He wants young people, if my math is right, the oldest would be about 33, the youngest would be 13 or so. He is looking for young people who will sign up with Him to change this world. He invites you to come and be a part. Would you let me pray for us today? Oh, Father. First, may I just say thank you for October the 26th, 1975, when you pulled it all back and let me see what it was. You pulled back all the religion, all the goodness that I thought was good, and I saw myself as a wretched sinner before a holy God. Father, my prayer today is that someone would see themselves today that way, that you do the same thing for them that you did for me, and that they would trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, how we need your help today. How we need your help today. We need help changing our worldview. We desperately need to fall in love with you and your word. Our country is in really deep trouble. And so many levels. Oh, how I love her. I am so glad to be an American today. But Father, she needs you desperately. And the great hope is you, Jesus Christ. But we are the messengers. We are the missionaries. We are the world changers. So may we leave here today more committed than ever to being Christ followers. May the dust of Jesus be found on us every day, wherever we go. Father, help us to be the moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers that we need to be. May we be the co-workers, the bosses, the teachers that we need to be. Father, it's not too late. The landscape is changing before our eyes. But you are still sovereign. You are still holy. So help us. Help us, Father, to be the missionaries, the change agents, the followers you desire us to be. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name.